Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Interesting podcast we have coming for you today. It's all about ethics, specifically business ethics. And when you think of it, everything we do is pretty much controlled or governed by these business ethics. We do business every single day. Even if you're just a regular person, if you want to call it that, you make a purchase, you are exposed to business ethics of some type. He is somebody that has taught this for many years, has done a lot of research on it, and we're going to today talk about the right decision for the right reason with different situations, different cases involving ethics. Ronald Birnbaum is back with us. Welcome back, Ronald. How are you? Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Very well, very well. And this begins, I guess, a series of podcasts on making the right decision for the right reason. What are we going to focus on today? Today, we're going to focus on the case of Claudine Gay, who was uh, president of Harvard University for a brief period of time. And and you may have, uh, you, you undoubtedly have read about that or heard about it. And uh, full disclosure, uh, I uh, I went to Harvard Law School. My wife is a graduate of the uh, graduate school, and my daughter, not to be outdone, was both an undergraduate and a graduate student at Harvard. So even though it's about Harvard, this qualifies as kitchen table issues. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So how about right. uh, how about we start with a little bit of background? Okay. Well, Claudine Gay, you may uh, recall, was a uh, was a black woman. Uh, she had uh, served Harvard in various different capacities. I think for about eleven years, uh, she was a pretty high ranking uh, person on the inside. And when uh, Larry Bacow announced his retirement after a search, uh, the trustees, otherwise known as the corporation, their chair being Penny Pritzker, former Secretary of Commerce, selected Claudine Gay to be the next president of Harvard. And she was uh, a black woman. Uh, Harvard had had a woman president uh, preceding her, prior to Baycow, named Drew Gilpin Faust, very distinguished historian, even before she was named, and uh, a most excellent president of Harvard, at least in my opinion. Uh, But it had not had a black woman. So uh, in any event, they did select her. And so now, as as everyone knows, for... And everybody has their own explanation and their own interpretation of the situation. But she was president only for, I think, maybe three or four months, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Up up until about a week and change ago. Right, right. And you are still seeing uh, newspaper stories about that situation every day and new information is coming to light and new people are stepping forward. So when we analyze this decision, we begin with the question of whose job it is to make it. And in this case, it was uh, what Harvard calls the corporation 
its uh, what many would call its trustees or its board of directors, its head being rather formidable woman named Penny Pritzker, uh, who uh, was uh, President Obama's Secretary of Commerce and uh, went to Harvard and, and is, uh, as I said, a, a formidable uh, personality. Now, uh, what was their job? They had to select a new president of Harvard. What were their motives or objectives? That's the first question one always asks. Now, you would think that motives and objectives are always transparent and always perfectly obvious. Now, in this case, of course, uh, they obviously needed a president, so we can go at least that far. Uh, but uh, as the French statesman Talleyrand once when informed by his uh, young aide that the, uh, the Russian ambassador had died, Talleyrand asked what were his motives. Hmm. And so motives are always something that are both transparent and not. But the purpose of making a decision which can be broadly defined as ethical has one or at least one of two objectives, sometimes both. And one objective is to improve the situation. You will recall that the first words of the Constitution say, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, in other words, the Constitution is guideline for continuing to improve that union. And, and the other purpose is repair. There's an old uh, 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 statement from the Talmud or, or whatever phrase called tikkun olam, which is mending the world. So you're going to try to repair uh, something that needs to be fixed. And uh, then uh, the bottom line there is that uh, you are not going to be able to entirely succeed in uh, in your objective, but that does not uh, that does not relieve you of the opportunity to undertake the task. So, in doing so, uh, you have three tools. You have markets or economics broadly defined. Uh, that would be uh, Jeremy Bentham, consequentialism, and you have law, that's obvious enough, and uh, you have ethics or philosophy. So let's take each one of those and look at the decision that the trustees made and look at how uh, Claudine Gay responded to the challenge um, in each one of these cases. All right. So first we have markets. Now, the problem with Bentham's formulation and with economics is that markets do not always uh, work to the advantage of all the participants. Uh, and the reason for that is what we call externalities. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid 
and uh, this will be showing my age. Uh, my family uh, bought a 1954 Chevrolet for about $2,000. Now, I understand that new cars today, even garden variety ones, cost about $50,000. Even in constant dollars, that's a huge increase in price. Now, that Chevrolet was a very good car. I'm not sure I ever owned or drove a better one. Uh, it employed uh, thousands of people uh, under uh, union wages, very uh, significant uh, amount of pay. Many of them had uh, second fishing homes in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, the uh, chair, uh, chairman of uh, General Motors was Times Man of the Year. Uh, what's not to like about this? What are we leaving out here? We are leaving out externalities, uh, which are costs as a result of this uh, uh, result that other people have to pay. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of carbon emissions, and today we have climate change, which may well be due to many of those accumulation of carbon emissions. We had untold injuries and highway deaths. We had no airbags. We had no safety uh, belts. Uh, we had uh, no GPS systems. Uh, we had a highway system that was just beginning to get organized. And so you had lots of external costs that were being paid, uh, not by the consumers, not by the workers, not by the shareholders, not by the top employees like Harlow Curtis, the uh, chief executive office, but not only by people who were invisible to the decision makers, but were invisible because they were part of a future generation. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it was uh, hardly a perfect situation. And if there had been some effort to think about the externalities, uh, the car might have been priced more fairly. The second one is law. I don't have to go into too much detail over, uh, you know, Law is not the end of a discussion. It is the end of a conversation without end. Uh, we are even today reading in the newspaper about the uh, various interpretations of the 14th Amendment and so on and so forth. So it's not the end of the discussion, but it at least provides what you call guardrails. It sort of contains the discussion within certain parameters. And then finally, you have ethics or virtue. What is the most ethical, the most virtuous uh, solution to the problem? And personal virtue was uh, the province of Aristotle, who talked a lot about it, uh, human virtues. But he also more or less acknowledged implicitly or explicitly that they could only be achieved through an institutional structure. And that work he left to his student Plato, who wrote a book called The Republic, in which he talked about how that might be accomplished. Now, in more modern times, we have a fellow by the name of John Rawls, who talks about 
the the original, what he calls the original position. And he, what he says, emerging from the veil of ignorance, what rules would you make? What rules would you make uh, to maximize human welfare? What rules would you make to protect the disadvantaged? Okay, so that's our framework for discussion with uh, Claudine Gay, and we go back to that. The trustees evidently thought, and a lot of people would undoubtedly agree, as a matter of fact, most people would probably agree, that it would be an excellent thing uh, for Harvard to have a black woman president uh, who, with a proven record, performance record at Harvard, uh, just to make things a little easier to adjust to the situation. And so the trustees chose uh, chose Claudine Gay. Now, they didn't take into full consideration uh, just how well this would go over with the rest of uh, their community. Uh, and among these, I would just single out two people who were especially active. Uh, One of them was a gentleman named Bill Ackman, head of uh, Pershing Investments. Uh, He, too, was a graduate of Harvard. Uh, He felt uh, that, I guess he felt, and I think he felt, actually it's made it evident that he felt he wasn't getting enough respect and that Harvard's uh, curriculum was being distorted in favor of the humanities and also in favor of teaching history in a way that uh, sounded a little bit unfamiliar to him uh, by certain, quote-unquote, elites who had the nerve, at least so he felt, to be even a little bit patronizing to a guy like him. The other person was Alyssa Slotkin, also, like Ackman, a graduate of Harvard, member of Congress. And uh, she was a Republican. And as many Republicans uh, have, uh, saw the uh, cultural uh, gaps widening between a sort of patronizing and uh, condescending elites and uh, their interpretation of the way the world works or has worked and their own. And they gave a word to this kind of behavior. They called it woke, woke, W-O-K-E. So in comes comes Claudine Gay at about the same time that the Israeli-Gazan situation erupts, and 34 uh, organizations at Harvard uh, signed a letter. Uh, uh, Their chief officer signed a letter on behalf of their organization to uh, Miss Gay, the president, uh, saying that they thought that the Israeli conduct of the war bombing Gazans uh, for the horror that had been inflicted on them, uh, they protested that. They took exception to it. Uh, what they did not advocate as Miss Slotkin or someone else in those hearings uh, said or implied, support for genocide. Nonetheless, 
they framed it in that way, and they asked President Gay uh, what she thought about that and whether what Alyssa Slotkin Slotkin called bullying and harassment uh, of Jewish people, which uh, arguably that letter was not an example, uh, needed to be uh, dealt with harshly by the university. And Claudine Gay responded, well, it depends on the context. Well, that kind of uh, stuff, that kind of evasive answer infuriated a lot of people. But the trustees stood behind her. And then some eager eager beavers got to work and found something that was, in the first instance, rather obvious, that as an academic, Claudine Gay had had a fairly slim resume, not too many articles, no books, not much of a reputation in her field. She had mostly been uh, a what you might call a bureaucrat of one sort or another at Harvard uh, for much of her time there. And then the second, perhaps even more damning thing, was that they found they kept finding examples of plagiarism, not just failure to attribute, but direct quotations without the quotation marks. Harvard stood behind Claudine Gay until they began to find the examples of plagiarism. And once they did, that gave them a bright line distinction for basically showing her the door, uh, which uh, the official word is that she resigned. But they gave her a uh, a nice soft landing, $900,000 salary, uh, as a faculty member. I've been a faculty member. My daughter's a faculty member. Neither one of us ever got paid $900,000. That, that's more than a soft landing, I would, I would believe. Yeah, and so that's where we are now. And so I have, a, I have a question, just, you know, based on so all So now's that. the time. Now's the time. We're done. That's the story, and uh, that's the issues. Do you personally feel, Ronald, that they, whoever they are, went looking for something – and found what was to believed to be plagiarism. Do you think they were looking for that based on previous situations related to the war comments and such? I think they were looking for it because it's a pretty good working hypothesis, which with almost any academic, quite frankly. And in fact, it's come to light that uh, Ackman's wife, who is an academic and I think was or is on the faculty at MIT, also had a certain number of instances of that kind of behavior as well. It, it, it's uh, it, I'm not a, I'm not apologizing. I'm not I'm not defending it, but I'm saying that it is not too hard to find, and it was a reasonable uh, hypothesis, a reasonable basis on which to begin to look. And from what I understand, I haven't read the read the story deeply. And yes, yeah, she did resign January second. Um, it appears, again, appears based on accounts that the amount of plagiarism was pretty substantial. It wasn't 
one or two articles that were plagiarized. There was, it was a significant amount. Uh, but do you think that if the situations regarding the war, maybe Israel, things like that, that wasn't there, do you think that the plagiarism would have been exposed anyway? I think that, uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. And first of all, just to pick up on your point about the plagiarism was significant. Yeah, it wasn't the matter of forgetting a footnote or having a footnote and not having the right pages. It was a matter of maybe as much as three paragraphs verbatim yeah. uh, without a footnote. And also, you know, in the acknowledgments where one is supposed to, you know, with some sincerity, acknowledge the help of a colleague or a friend, she used exactly the same words as <laughs> some friend of hers had used in another book. So uh, that was kind of uh, not uh, helpful to uh, uh, her case. But I think that uh, Ackman, uh, representative not just of the business community, but of the financial community, hmm. uh, who I think uh, I think he'd like to see basically Harvard uh, undergraduates, all of them prepared to go to work for him <laughs> rather than uh, the tremendous variety of opportunities they uh, they pursue. Uh, and uh, in the in the political uh, arena, the uh, the writing of history, it's a program called DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Uh, which has grown at a tremendous pace in many universities. Uh, and, you know, if you are uh, doing some research on a, on the Civil War and you want to hire a research assistant to help you with a book, the money might not be in the budget, whereas at one time it would have been because a lot of this is going to DEI and so there's a tremendous amount of animosity towards that program, even within the academic community. Uh, so, so I think we're out of time. We're out of time. But in 30 seconds, I'm going to pose this question to you. You've got connections to Harvard uh, in your history, uh, as does your family. We're talking about the right decision, right reason. I'm anointing you right now where you can make the decision whether to keep her as president based on all the facts or, or what has been presented in terms of plagiarism. Do you think that she needed to go? She needed to resign as president. Well, that's what you call an easy layup. I wouldn't have had to make that decision because I wouldn't have hired her in the first place. Okay. All right. Fair enough. She needed some, she needed more academic chops than uh, she had. She didn't have to be a Pulitzer or Nobel prize winner. But basically, I think to be okay. president of Harvard, you need some academic chops. And and do you feel that, uh, and again, we have literally 20 seconds here. Do you feel that she was put in that position because she's female and, and maybe because she's black? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, but that's not her fault. I mean, no, uh, she, no. I'm not blaming her for it. But, you know, your point is, uh, I, I think, you know, valid in terms of, and again, I haven't studied this deeply, um, that in terms of, you know, as you call it, educational chops, maybe there was some missing there and uh, somehow it got exposed with the plagiarism. 
Uh, Ronald, great talking with you today. Great case. Very topical. I mean, literally, she just resigned a, a few days ago. Uh, if anybody wants to to reach out to you, have some questions, maybe you want to pick your brain on something, how do we find you? You find me at ronald.berenbeim, B-E-R-E-N-B-E-I-M, uh, at gmail.org, or what was gmail.com. At gmail.com. Yeah. And... Please also send suggestions for other case studies you might like me to uh, do. Yeah, great idea. Well, today's was, like, a, as I said, very topical and a, a good one. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.